Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, the discussion is around buying and selling motorcycles and some odd places to visit, as well as some other rabbit holes we found ourselves in. I mean, it's the end of the season, right? All this and more coming up on today's episode. But before we get going, I want to give a shout out to a couple of people that has helped the show incredibly in the past month with support of $50 or more. And that is Eric Beal and Christopher Jensen. Thank you both very much. Remember, support of $50 or more gets your name put out on this show, but we would love your monthly support on our Patreon account. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, here we go. ARR Raw for December 2018, last show of the year. Okay, is there anybody not ready to go? No, wait. Uh, we're good. Stop Sorry, sorry. What was it? Graham, you were bitching about something? Sorry, what was that? <laughs> nothing, nothing. I'm ready. <laughs> From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, it is December 2018, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I have to say that tongue-in-cheek, I, I am joined by my regular Overland co-host, starting with Graham Field. Graham, is it evening or morning? It's very early in the morning, but not as early as it was when we started this. <laughs> it, you, 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 you sound like it's early in the morning. You've got a sort of a subdued tone to you. Yeah, I'm subdued, but but dude, I'll be less subby later. <laughs> but but you're actually at your home because you were. I think you were in the UK last time I spoke. Um, I am at the UK. Um, this uh, last few weeks, I've been adventure carer. The dispatch department had a knee replacement, so I've been over here cooking, cleaning, and just being a general slave, really. Wow. Which is strange because I run my own house. You know, I always have wherever I've lived, and it's never taken a very big chunk of my time but it takes all my time here i can't ever go down the shed where my old klr is i never have time to do anything i'm doing laundry i'm doing cooking i'm buying ingredients i'm helping me mum do this i'm keeping the fire going i'm taking out the rubbish i'm recycling it's just never stops it sounds it's not very exciting <laughs> you're looking after the whole building by yourself the whole shipping department yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and having to ship out the weekly book as well. Oh, so, God. you know, it's very busy. I don't know how you're – just the, the fact that you're keeping up, I think, it really says something about you, the type of person you are. Total multitasker, spinning plates I am, keeping them all up. Grant Johnson is in British Columbia. Grant? Hi there. I'm enjoying the evening, the cool, the quiet, the rain. Um, we've just moved to Vancouver, and I'm immersed in a mountain of boxes. Wow. And it's not fun. <laughs> but, it, moving, but it's coming together. The moving to Vancouver or the mountain of boxes? Uh, both. Both. <laughs> the, uh, the mountain of boxes is, is quite spectacular. We've moved it. The office used to be in a, well, think of a large living room and dining room off to one side. That was a big area, and we had room for three desks and a few other odds and ends. Now it's in a small bedroom, and mm -hmm. that's it. So it's, yeah, it's literally to the ceiling. There's about a quarter of an inch clearance between the ceiling and the top box along one whole wall. It's full. 
And then um, I'm putting all together the server and the Mac and my own computer. And the, the maze of wiring here is terrifying. How are you going to get thing, only phrase those, I can think of? <laughs> how are you going to get all those boxes emptied into a small apartment? If it's already full with those boxes there, I mean, where are you going to find the room? I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, the joy of moving and downsizing for that matter. Sam yes, Manic- massive downsize. <laughs> Sam Manicom is, is in, Sam, you're in the UK, right? You're at home? I am. Yeah, yes, what, I am. And I yeah, s- what's this about the dog chewing your homework? <laughs> I was just thinking about as many excuses as I possibly could find for um, not linking up with you, your email last night. Um, but um, yeah, I obviously wasn't going to get away with any of that, was I? Sam, for the rest of you who sent me an email because he didn't respond to the email that I sent out about this recording and uh, he gave me some lame excuse about his mom and something, I forget what it was, but I said, you may as well have told me the dog ate your homework. I didn't buy it. And, and of course, I caught him red-handed. Well, you did. And of course, I wrote back to you straight away and said, well, um, I'm, I'm bunged up with cold, as you can probably hear in my voice, um, but the dog's sick too. It had too many notes. Right, but you don't have a dog. <laughs> No, of course not. Surely, listen. I want to, uh, before you go away. Yeah. Um, I want to tell you what it's like here, because um, I'm feeling really Christmassy this morning, and the reason that I'm feeling very Christmassy is because I'm surrounded by culinary chaos. Now, doesn't that doesn't that have a nice ring to it? Culinary chaos. Birgit's been on a Christmas cookie binge, so while I was away last night. She has been um, blasting away in the kitchen and the whole flat is full of racks of cookies that she's been making. And the, the scent in our home this morning is cinnamon and nutmeg and ginger and raw sugar and fresh baking. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't think I'm going to open up any windows at all today. I'm just going to spend the whole day breathing Christmas in. And the Christmas cards are up and yeah, it's just fantastic. And why she's been cooking? Well, she's the sort of girl that thinks it's really nice to give friends and family and work colleagues and things like that something different that's very nice you have to be careful though you know as you get older even smelling those cookies will put weight on you so you (laughs) (laughs) go easy around that but but you can't have sugar anyway can you no i can't no i can't so that's all right um she her cookie um stock is safe Mm. but i can smell everything and that works Mm. It sounds like it smells good. Shirley and Brian are in Australia and have just been in the pool. At least I think Brian has been. Yeah, it's uh, it's Christmas here. Uh-huh. 35 degrees, the sun's shining. Um, my Christmas baking uh, started with Rocky Road and White Christmas and Grown Ups Chocolate Crackles. So it's all good here. Maybe not as exciting or doesn't smell as nice as your place, Sam, but it's pretty cool. Mm, nice. Well, well yeah, Brian, we, we found out recently got a raise too in his in his weekly allowance. He's out Christmas shopping. <laughs> yeah, I've got a raise in my in my um, allowance, and I've been saving up studiously. And I've had enough money to go out and have a look for a, another motorcycle. Of course, every man needs another motorcycle, and I just travelled oh, two hundred and fifty kilometres to have a look at this. Um, Triumph from the year 1973. Now, come on, you world travellers. What was important about 1973? Well, did you have to change over from the left? You were still at the the right hand. uh, uh, No. No. Well, no, 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 no. Think think, think world travellers. World travellers. What happened in 1973? Ted Simon. Something about Ted. Yeah, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Very good. Pass. 
That's right. That was the year Ted Simon uh, rode around the world on his um, Triumph Tiger 500. Well, I went out looking at a Triumph Tiger today, and um, it started first kicked it by, gee, it had a lot of rattles in the top end. <laughs> and, uh, <Don't> they always. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a lot of rattles in my top end too nowadays, but um, it, it started to blow a little bit of smoke out of the left side. And um, the guy was uh, a really old fellow and a really nice guy. And he said, look, I can't sell it to you like this. And uh, I wouldn't have bought it anyway, but that's another story. Um, that's my been my day. So I came home very dejected with the bike trailer empty. Shirley was sure I was going to come back. Mm, I <laughs> but um, not to be this time around. But there's plenty of fish in the sea, as we all know. So I'm going to take his allowance back off him. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if he misread the whole allowance thing, because the way I saw it was, you know, when I heard that he got an allowance raise there, I was thinking it was for Christmas shopping. It is. Oh, yeah. Of course it is. But not for you. I, I don't know what part of the motorbike would have been my Christmas present, but I'm hoping that there's something else under the tree. The very comfortable PNC, yeah, yeah, I told yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Graham, you know, usually, I guess, at Christmas time, you're doing some Bulgarian-type Christmas things, but I don't think that's going to happen for you, is it? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't really know what's happening at the moment. Uh, sort of uh, came here on a one-way flight, so life's a little bit in limbo. So I don't really do Christmas anyway, so uh, the time of year is irrelevant. And, I mean, if really, if you're going to be um, doing something like this, it might as well be December. I'm not missing any riding weather or anything, so I'm quite happy to be doing what I'm doing, really. Brian, you were mentioning about um, shopping for a bike. My my son, I think I told you guys a while back uh, that um, he got his learner's permit and he bought a motorcycle. Um, he bought a, uh, a Ninja 300, I think is what it was. <laughs> he had it for like, yeah, I don't know, a yeah, month. Yeah, little Kawasaki, nice two, bike. Yeah. yeah, two months I think he had it for. And he sold it and he's went up to an FZ6 that he's riding <laughs> now. <laughs> so it was a it was a very short-lived um uh, motorcycle ownership with that one. It's not, that's not his, this is actually his third bike because he bought his first one when he was 16 years old, but he, he bought the bike. He, he wrote the initial test and when he went to insure it, um, they had a mix up with the insurance. First, they said he could pay it monthly and then they told him the next day or something after he was done that he had to pay the whole thing in advance while it was thousands of dollars. I forget what it was now. It was a ridiculous uh. price. So he packed it in. So now he's, he's back to it. This, this is like, you know, seven years later, he's older now and insurance is a little cheaper. The Ninja 300, now he's with the FZ6, but but when he's buying this this FZ6, you know, he's he's trying, even the Ninja, because I went with him with a Ninja to, to buy this thing. And the whole buying process, I don't, I don't know what you, what you guys find with this, but the whole buying process can be quite the ordeal because not, first of all, not everybody wants you to ride the bike, which is problematic because, you know, that's what, what my son was, he's checking around for bikes and he's finding that people are saying, well, you can't ride the bike because, and no wonder, he's a new rider showing up some young guy who wants to test ride their bike, right? It's a difficult yeah. thing. So, Brian, when you're when you're going to to look at this bike, what do you do? What's what's your approach? Well, this this bike wasn't registered to start with, um, but it's uh, with a guy who um, provides uh, who has a lot of bikes, and his real um, thing is Makos and the Tis Makos and those trail bikes, those beautiful old trail bikes. Um, but he had a, a couple of uh, Triumphs, and a friend of mine, Damien, ended up getting um, a, a Trident. Um, a kickstart Triumph Trident at a very reasonable price and he hasn't even advertised so we're, we're keeping him under wraps at this stage but I know he's got a lot a lot of um, 
uh, wonderful pieces of machinery in that back shed. So he's got my card and um, we'll talk turkey. Um, I, sure, I couldn't take it for a test ride, but you, you can tell. You start a bike, and this thing started um, at, at the old Amal Carbys, and the kids nowadays wouldn't know anything about this, but, you know, you've got to turn the petrol on, you've got to tickle the carby until fuel comes out of it so it's flooded, and then you have to kick the bike twice to load up the, the, uh, the head with fuel, and then you've got to get it to top dead centre before you kick it. And you did all that, it's bang, starts straight away, and you know that the bike is in pretty good nick when that happens, as far as tune goes, and then you listen. And uh, this bike was um, one with uh, oil in the frame, and try and put out oil in the frame bikes, and you can actually take the cap off, which is just near the front of the seat, and you can see the oil circulating. Um, so, you know, you've got to know the bike you're looking at, uh, particularly with old bikes like this. Um, with new bikes nowadays, they're like a damn sewing machine. There's nothing really goes wrong with them, um, as long as the clutch works and the, the gears cycle correctly, um, and there's plenty of meat in the the brakes and all that sort of stuff. It's not a great deal that can go wrong with them as long as they're straight. So I think a visual check is the most important thing. But um, yeah, that's that's just my take on it all. Yeah, I was wondering about uh, the mechanic checkover. I mean, the one thing with my son buying the second bike, I was there for the first one, but the second bike I wasn't there for. And um, we sort of debated a lot. I mean, like one of the questions that, that I think is fairly common with people looking at it, how do you know if the previous owner has had the valves checked? You know, or whether they just yeah. say it, say they did. And, yeah. and in the case with the first bike that he bought, um, it needed the valves checked. The guy was honest. He said, no, he hadn't had it, hadn't checked them. And it only had, I think it was like 2,000 kilometers to go before it was supposed to have a valve check. Well, you know, my son, Peter, he, he just rode that in no time at all. It was weeks by the time he was up to that. And although that's not yeah. a real you know, hard and fast deadline that, that, um, that mileage, it, it makes a big difference because I think they were quoting him something like six or $700 to do the valve check. Well, it depends. So, and this is where you've got to know what you're looking at. If it's if it's a bike with um, uh, bucket and shim adjustments on the valves, you know they they can go twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand kilometres without uh, even changing, depending on what sort of bike they are. But if it's if it's a lock nut and screw adjustment on the valves, you can hear it. Um, I've I've bought bikes, and the first thing I'll do, I don't care if he's changed the oil and done the valves. The first thing I'll do is dump the oil and make sure it's to my, uh, how, how I'm happy with it, and the bike's quite rideable. If it's a chain drive, you're checking the chain and the sprockets and make sure that the sewer clip is put on the right way. I've seen bikes with um, a joining link in a chain with a sewer clip on the wrong way, which is a sure um, sign that it's gonna fly off and you're gonna throw your chain. Um, you've gotta make sure the bike's roadworthy for you, not just roadworthy for um, somebody just doing a cursory uh, check over it. Um, I would. Um, I, I picked up an old Triumph Sprint from '93, which had been sitting in the backyard for five years under two tarps. And um, okay, it only had 46,000 kilometres on it. You know, and I'm only talking two or three years ago, but it needed a hell of a lot of work to get it right. And uh, the first thing I did was um, have the valves checked because uh, they need bucket machine. Okay, it costs a little bit, but once that's done, it's done, and it's done for at least 20,000 kilometres. Uh, but then little things started to go wrong, because if the bike has been sitting for a long time, for example, 
your clutch fluid and your brake fluids go turn to water. And with this particular bike, the slave cylinder, the, the, the push rod on the slave cylinder, um, the chrome had delaminated because it had been sitting in water. The, the fluid had turned almost to water. So I've had to replace all that. So it's things like that that you only learn. I, I don't think I don't think even a mechanic would pick that up until you've ridden the bike for some time. Well, that's circlip, so that's old bikes. That circlip that's on backwards, that, that could be an indication that somebody doesn't know what they're doing when they're working on the bike, or at least something to look at. It could be an honest mistake, but it could be somebody who's working on it doesn't have the skills, and then that's where you want to start to really climb around. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but and, it, and, bird, and bird nuts too, Jim. You know, like if you, you know, yeah. if you just have a, look, have a look at the drain pipe. And if it's bird, you know, they're, they're using the wrong tool and don't know what they're doing. Graham, you've you've bought um, bikes from eBay. We've we've talked a little bit about that before. In fact, recently. Yeah, well, most of my bikes I don't that I buy, I don't really have the option to go and see them because. I mean, I'm always on eBay uh, looking at motorcycles. I've always got regular searches going. And, uh, and something will come up, it's badly described or it's badly photographed, and you think, oh, there's uh, some money to be made on that. But, of course, I'm 1,600 miles away, so looking isn't isn't ideal. But what I found is a phone call. Because, firstly, get in touch via, um, via an email and you can tell a lot by the email response you get. But then by talking to someone, you can tell more about a bike, I think, by talking to the owner than you can by looking at the bike, because you can tell whether it's a genuine person or not, whether they're a bullshitter, whether they know their stuff about bikes. You can throw in a few questions that only a person who owned a bike like that would know a little bit of history. And I have bought most of my bikes on eBay based by the conversation I've had with the owner rather than the photos and the descriptions. And um, I haven't been burned, I don't think, in a, in a long time. So uh, that's always my sort of advice is regardless of the description, the photos and that, listen to the owner and you can tell a lot from what they have to say and the way they say it. Mm, I think that's a, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of before. So you're not doing, you don't get the bike inspected, you're not getting someone to drop by that's close by or having them take it to a mechanic or anything. No, when I bought my Tiger, which was when was that about three years ago, that was close to a mate of mine's house, and he was the one who went to. Did he look at it beforehand? He might. I don't think he did because it was a bike. Now he only looked at it to pick it up for me, and he said it is immaculate. The guy is a fanatic. He is absolutely anal retentive, and I thought, yeah, that's the impression I've got. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you want for sure. <laughs> How about you, Sam? You, you don't really buy bikes, do you? <laughs> Do you know, I've only ever bought three motorcycles. The one that I learned to ride on, Libby, um, and I bought one not so long back. Um, and that was privately from the friend. The first two was, were from shop. So, um, you know, I was just thinking, wow, what would I do as a complete novice if I was going to go um, and buy a secondhand motorcycle? And I mean, I guess I would just, I mean, the first thing as a, as a novice, I'd look at the general condition. How, how does it look? Has it got dings and scrapes in oddball places? Um, does it look like it's been tumbled? Is the, fla the frame straight? Um, and I mean, has it got a service record? What's the condition of the wiring look like? Um, are there any additional welds and are there patches of paint that just don't match with the originals? Things like that, I guess. But I, I nearly did buy um, a bike in the USA um, online, 
And I had a really good conversation with the guy via email and he seemed incredibly genuine and upfront and he answered every question that I could possibly think of. Um, but what made me chicken out in the end was the fact that I'm on a different continent and I'm handing a, a wedge of money over to somebody that I don't know. I didn't have any friends who were in the area that could go and look at the motorcycle. Um, and I came across this thought, well, I wonder whether there are any loans out on this bike. How do I check that? And when I started thinking that, I thought, actually, this is getting too complicated for me. I don't think I want to risk it. So I've en I ended up buying a bike from a guy that I know well. And um, that just the confidence with that is um, huge. Yeah, that's one, isn't it? The liens. Uh, that's something that we talked about as well, my son and I, about uh, checking for liens. He did a lien check on the first bike that he bought because you don't know. I, I know the, of a story of a, a local guy to us here who bought a, a set of uh, draft horses and some towing equipment f with them uh, for um, doing logging, for doing horse logging, which is some people do. You know, It's supposed to be environmentally friendly, whatever the case was. But he had them just a short period of time and someone showed up and repossessed the horses because there was liens against them. Them. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So, how do you check it? How, how do you check and see whether there is a, a lien well, on something? In here in British Columbia, you can do a, a lien check. You do that um, when, when you're going to switch the bike over. Uh, as a matter of fact, no, I think you can do it online. But but I, I think it just depends on where you are. Like it'll it'll probably vary state to state and of course country to country. But there usually are places to check for liens. Yeah, right, so, in Australia, registration branch do that. It's always yeah. the, the, the motor vehicle registration office, wherever you do your paperwork for license plates and stuff like that, they will generally know if there's a lien against it. Well, I think yes. um, he found, uh, Pete, uh, my son, he found that um, he checked online and he had to, I think he had to do it online and he paid $65 or something like that for it to do the check, which is kind of weird. You think it would be a government thing they would just give you for no charge, but you, you actually have to pay for it. And I think you just needed the basic vehicle information. But obviously, smart thing to do. Like, you know, Sam, you, you buy a bike like that, you put out that kind of money. Um, I, I don't know what you're buying, a thirty or $40,000 bike, but... Um, <laughs> but any amount, I don't care if it's $2,000. It's, it's a lot of money to hand over to something then only to have it yanked from you. Oh, exactly. And when I was um, thinking about buying this bike, um, I was thinking about, well, how do I check that the frame and the engine numbers match the paperwork if I'm not there to look at it and I haven't got somebody else to go and look at it? And Brian mentioned uh, earlier about, you know, um, worn over nuts and, and bolts and so on. How do I check for that sort of thing if I can't actually be there and see it? Um, and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I started to get very, very nervous about it, but maybe I'm just a wimp. But the other thing is, I mean, of course, I don't have anything like the experience that um, Graham Grant and Brian have for buying and selling motorcycles. So, and when Graham was talking about, I can tell pretty quickly by the conversation with the guy on the telephone, um, I wouldn't have that ability. So it comes down to literally the nuts and bolts and what I can physically see. When you think about it, Sam, there's a, there's a great little business there, isn't there, for somebody with uh, mechanical nows uh, to start up in a region uh, that could go and check bikes out. I, I think there's a couple of guys around Melbourne where I am that actually do that, that own bike shops and things like that. And you can take or get the owner to take the bike there to be checked out so you can get a, um, a review done on it. What an interesting idea. 
What an interesting idea. Mm. Yeah, I, I uh, when you said that, Brian, my first thought was, who's going to, what sort of liability insurance and things like that are you going to yeah. end up having to get? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. There'd have to be some code of sell on saying, look, it's my opinion, and that's it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a, just a thought running through my head that you could probably do that. I like Graham's uh, idea or, or the way Graham does it is, is talking to people because I do believe that. I think you can tell a lot. Um, you, you know, you, you find this with anything. Somebody will, will act like they know something or act like they're doing a certain thing and then you just talk to them a little bit and you realize very quickly that they don't have the depth of knowledge for what they're claiming and, and that's great for something like a motorcycle. But you do run into those times where people will say, well, I don't know anything about it. I'm, I, I've only had it for two months, uh, you know, yeah. or, or a short time and, and it's a tough one. Then you've actually got to get down there and, and get your knees and hands dirty and, and start to have a look around and see what you can find but and part of it though graham it, part of it's a bit of a leap of faith too i imagine isn't it oh uh, yeah i mean it's it, i think it always is to a degree i mean i've been trying to sell my pickup truck in bulgaria for ages and i got a call the other day and uh, he didn't speak any english and my bulgarian was certainly not up to that conversation luckily my girlfriend was there and she's translating for me and she said are you up for a barter and i said well Possibly. What's he got? Is it a horse and some wheat? <laughs> well, what, what colours the horse? Well, and be careful well, with that what, horse. There's a lot of things that can be wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it might actually be a good deal, mate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether it was buck wheat or what sort of wheat is it. I mean, I just I've got I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, how much wheat did you end up getting? Well, I didn't do it in the end because um, it just seemed like to me, okay, now I've got something to feed the horse, but I haven't got a saddle. <laughs> and of course, you'd, find... need, you'd need a pickup to go and collect the wheat, wouldn't you? Makes well, sense. yeah, it just seemed a bit complex to me. And I I, I don't know enough about horses really to, to do that. And, and you know, how, how, how many horsepower is it? I just don't know all these things. It's one. <laughs> hey, Graham, when you're selling something, are you brutally honest with people when they come to look at it? Like, do you tell them that that truck was a, you know, you had electrical problems with it and whatever else you had? You know, do, do you give them the full rundown that can actually sound really negative when somebody comes to buy something? I will put a positive slant on it. Like, for example, it had the transmission rebuilt last year at a cost of 1800 lev, which is all true. Not that the mechanic found out when he did it that it had been taken apart and put together by an idiot. So, because <laughs> that's ancient history and it has been taken apart and put together by a skilled person who specializes in automatic transmissions now. So, there's no need to know, for him to know the ancient history the recent history is it has been rebuilt by a competent mechanic and here are the receipts and the warranties so you know you kind of you know you tell them the truths they need to know <laughs> but, but what about the stuff like you know the boxes sort of getting rotted at the back and and you know you you can see that it's not going to last a whole bunch longer before somebody's gonna have to do something with it do you get into that with them i, I don't mean to center you out i mean any of us uh i think it very much depends on the person and if they're I mean, I remember once I got burned on this transit van when I was in the UK. I had very little money and I bought an old full transit and it was not good. And I turned, this was before the internet or anything, put an advert in the local newspaper to turn it around again. And because I needed it to get to work and back, it was my only transport and it kept dying on me. And I didn't know enough about vehicles back then to be able to fix it or have the time. And uh, this young, squaddy, like army 
uh, a guy came into it and he knew nothing. He was so ignorant. He wanted to write me a check. I was like, you can't write me a check. And um, he just, you know, he looked at the colour and he sat in the driver's seat and he's like, yeah, I'll have it. And and I just had to say, look, um, you you need to take this to a mechanic and get it serviced because it's not right. And because I could I could have so easily taken that guy's money, but sometimes you've just got to be. You know, you've got to stop someone from from falling in those pitfalls. But at the same time, if you've got some arrogant tire kicker, oh yeah, I know all about this. Yeah, well, we're going to have to do this. It's like, well, if you know, mate, there's no need for me to tell you, is there? It very much depends on the person, their attitude. I think. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I really liked from this guy that I was talking to um, about his bike was that he was incredibly upfront about things. Um, and he, you could almost see, hear him, you know, shuffling his feet as he was saying, "Well, you know, I need to tell you that um, the instrument panel, there's, there's a crack on it, and um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's not huge, but you need to know that it's there, and there is one, one scrape on, on this area, and I'd hate for you to find the bike, you know, to finally get it and to find these things, and you didn't know they were there, and you know, that sort of thing. And I actually really liked the guy because of not only what that he was telling me, but how he was telling me and why he was telling me. I thought that was really cool. But do, do people do that very often? I don't think so. I think that it can be foolish, honestly, because I've bought and sold a lot of things in my life. I used to, when I was a kid, I was I was into buying old lawnmowers. I would rip them apart, rebuild them if they needed it, paint them and sell them again. And I dealt with a lot of people who would come and may barter with it. If I found if you start pointing out little things, they usually don't matter to people. I mean, like I'm not talking like you're trying to rip them off. I'm just saying you're pointing out the things that are wrong with it. Um, you just lose sales. It's as simple as that. And people will get turned off who would otherwise buy it and be happy with it. Or they'll think, you know, they'll want to talk you down on it because of, um, you know, whatever you've said about it. So I found with that stuff, you're, you know, there's, you got to tell them what's wrong with it, but otherwise you're going to have to um, look at it and sort of assess it yourself. I always remember that there's a guy in town we bought vehicles from and his attitude is when, when, you know, I ask about, you know, how good is the vehicle or anything like that? He always says, well, you know, you got to look at it and make your choice yourself. You know, it seems like it's got some miles left in it, you know, and he sort of leaves it at that for you to decide because, you know, who really knows? Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing you haven't considered, I've actually done this, um, ask the guy who serviced the bike last, mm. and then ring him. And I've I've done that. Oh, that's a good idea. And, and you never ever. You know, it's just a third party. And as soon as you hang up from the guy, ring the other place just in case there's some shenanigans going on. But nine times out of ten, it, it's it's the way to go. Yeah, that's that's a really good uh, really good tip, Grant. You've been really quiet. Well, that's because I haven't bought a bike in so long, I can't remember when the last one was. Well, actually, I can't. 1986. You got your, your the one you're riding now. What was that, only three or four years ago? Yeah, I didn't actually buy it as such. It was, <laughs> it was a deal. Oh, <laughs> my first bike, my, my R80 GS that we rode around the world fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> Usually when people say that, that's more of a saying of, <laughs> you know, it was stolen from somewhere. But yours actually did. Yes, it actually did fall off the back of a truck. It was still in the crate on the way to a dealer in Alberta, and the crate fell off the back of a truck. So when I went to buy it from BMW, I got it from the distributor, and they said, yeah, it fell off the back of a truck. And I went, huh? How, what? <laughs> yep, it fell off the back of a truck. It really did, and it was kind of rounded and dinged and stuff like that. So I got a smoking deal on it, half price, which I thought was pretty good. You can't pass um, that 
since then, you know, I mean, I used to be a dealer buying and selling bikes all the time. And the main thing I think that I really learned about buying and selling bikes is that the buyer has to use their eyes, use their knowledge, and really think about what it is they're buying, what is their capability to repair what's wrong with it. You know, if you're an average guy and you look at something and you see, oh, that's not right, and that's not right, and that's not right, hmm, maybe the guy that owned it before isn't looking after it properly. Because if you, as an average guy, can see this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, it hasn't been well maintained. You might want to be pretty leery about it. If you can't find anything wrong, that's a good sign. It's been looked after or it's fairly new, it's low mileage but you've got a pretty decent chance of getting something that's decent. And I think you always have to remember, no matter what you're buying, you're going to spend some money on it at some point in the near future. Like Brian says, you know, do the valves. Yes. Change the oil. Yes. Check the chain. You know, check the steering head bearings. Uh, check the suspension. Make sure everything's working correctly. Um, take it to a dealer and get it serviced by the factory technicians that know what they're doing and they can give you a proper um, rundown on what's actually wrong with it and what it needs and how well it's been looked after. You, you tell the dealer, I just bought it. What do you think? Give me, a, give me an idea of what this thing's like. Um, if you find you've made a big mistake, well, maybe it's time to trade it in or get rid of it some other way. But you're going to spend money on any bike you buy. It's just a fact of life. So, I mean, I know of guys that go out and buy their first motorcycle and they say, I've got $4,000 and they, they're looking at bikes that are $3,900. Wait a minute, you haven't bought a helmet. You haven't done a service check on it, you haven't done anything, you know, you need to leave some spare cash for regular maintenance. It needs at least a service check. Like Brian was saying, it was six or $700 for a valve check. If you're talking a $4,000 motorcycle, that's a significant piece of change. Does it matter to your budget? You have to think about that. So lots of things to think about. I think one of the things I'm guilty of is when I'm going to look at a bike, physically look at it, is I get so excited. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy a bike. I'm going to be a bike. I'm going to get a bike. <laughs> and, and then when I get it, and I'm so forgiving of all its all its uh, shortcomings. And, uh, oh, I want it. I want it. I want it. And I really have to do a complete 180 degree turn with my mindset. And while and I, I make myself slow down as I start at the front wheel, checking spokes and front forks and start thinking, Graham, why don't you want this bike? And trying to work out, you know, what's wrong with it? What would it need changing? Because I do get super excited about buying a new bike and I just visualize it in the shed before I've even <laughs> looked at the Wait a minute, You visualize it in the shed? You're supposed to uh, yeah, visualize you know. it on the road as you're riding it. That's the, that's the exciting part. Well, I think part. that's where his admiring goes on when he parks at the shed and he sits by his wood stove and sits and just looks you at it. You can't see it, it when you're sitting on it. <laughs> yeah. Graham, you must, you must be reading my notes, Graham. I've just written, take someone along. And in, in um, and then I've written stars in your eyes. When you when you're looking <laughs> yeah. online, a bike looks great. I'm I'm actually uh, I'm going to show Shirley my iPad. I'm actually looking at a at a bike at the moment on the iPad. <laughs> um, but it, it looks great. But you know you do get stars in your eyes, and you you know why do I want this bike? What am I going to use it for? You know it's no good if you're seven foot ten inches tall and you're going to um, curl up on a FZR. Uh, Yamaha and ride 5,000 kilometres, you know. Why do you want this bike? Is it is it fit for you? And sometimes if you take someone along, they they uh, suss that out. 
and say, well, you know, do you really want to do the maintenance on this drive? This is the one I looked at today. Does it need this? Does it need that? Is the price too high? And um, the bike I looked at, yeah, the price is too high for what it is. It needs a lot of um, uh, bits and pieces. And the mate I took along, he said, yeah, well, I picked up this, this, this. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I picked up this, this, and this. So, you know, there's a negotiating price that you can do with that too. So yeah. take someone along um, to temper your enthusiasm. Can I say he doesn't take me along? Oh, no. Well, he doesn't oh, want to completely kill the enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. <laughs> you know, that's one thing I've always told my kids is, is that something that I've learned is never sell yourself on whatever it is you're buying before you get there. Always have the ability to walk away because once you've given that up, you have nothing. You will pay whatever and you will buy whatever piece of junk it is because you have that that's the stars, like Brian says, in your eyes before you go. So you've always got to have that, that sort of that feeling to keep it cool, you know? You always have that feeling of, I can walk away from this. I am not sold on this thing. And, and that's one thing I, I remember going through with Peter with it because he's looking at it online. He's saying, it's the perfect bike. It's great because of this. It's great because of that. It's great because of this. Well, it turns out the bike had been stolen once and been thrown in the back of a truck and the ignition was had been damaged and things like that. So it wasn't quite as beautiful as what he was imagining. Still, I mean, it yeah. worked out fine, but... What do you guys think about um, mileage? Now, I'm asking this question because when I was up at the Motorcycle Live show a couple of weeks back, I got talking to a guy called John. Um, and it, the, the conversation ended up that he'd got a, um, a BMW Airhead motorcycle with 127,000 miles on it. And people were taking one look at it in spite of the fact that this thing was in really good condition. Um, service history to 111,000 miles he, and it just just really nice looking bike um but people were saying well 127,000 miles well dear and he wanted two and a half thousand pounds for it that's all and um he said to me well so how many miles has Libby got in and I said 285,000 and he said yeah and still working fine yeah absolutely and I know people who've got bikes um have done 400,000 miles on them so I mean when you look at a bike online and you're thinking um shall I buy this bike? Is it of interest? What do you guys think about mileage? Mm. Uh, well, well, from my point of view, if it's a BMW, it's got Nicholson linings in the barrels, they don't wear out. But, you know, uh, but if it's something, um, say, a Chinese import, and it's done 300 kilometres, it's probably stuffed. <laughs> oh, that, that's going to bring emails. <laughs> Sorry, he's not far wrong. Mileage, I think, is is relevant to the condition of the bike. If it's high mileage and it's in mint condition, it looks really good. Everything's properly maintained. The brakes are good. The the linings on the brakes are good. The chain or whatever is everything's in great condition. Then it's been maintained. And that means that it's good for a long time yet. I've seen bikes with 5,000 miles on them, and they're junk. Mm -hmm. Remember, um, I was a, when I was a dealer, BMW dealer, I had a 81 R100S. Was the was the demo bike, and it was my bike. And it had something like 60,000 kilometers on it, been well used. It was on the showroom floor and looked like new. A guy came in, and he said, I want to trade in my old BMW. It was a 78 or something. And I'm um, thinking of the S models. Well, here, try mine out. Take it out for a ride. And he came back a couple hours later. We always send guys out on a long ride. And he said, 
bike's wonderful. I love it. I want one. But there's something wrong with your speedometer. You should know. What do you mean? Really? And he said, yeah, it's showing um, 70,000 kilometers. It's obviously a new bike. Uh, no, that's the real mileage. Oh, wow. and that's called maintenance, looking mm -hmm. after it, oiling it. I mean, I have a philosophy that I, I espouse frequently at the events where we're talking about maintenance. And it's basically, if it moves, oil it. If it, you want it to move someday, oil it and look after it and keep it clean and uh, wipe it down and make sure things are lubed and uh, properly tensioned. And the guy looked and we talked for a little while and I lost the sale on a bike because we ended up taking his bike into the shop and giving it a full going over, lubing everything, setting everything up, replacing the cables, which he'd never lubricated in a million years. And the bike, he said, he couldn't believe the difference that a proper going over in the shop to set it up right, to make it sweet. The difference that made was just amazing. He kept his bike then? He kept his bike. Mm. We had about six hours in the shop out of them, but that was it. But we didn't get a bike sale. But it, it was there was a lesson that I've always remembered because it's all about how you look after it. If you look after it, it's lovely, it's sweet, it's clean, everything works. I mean, I walk up to bikes at uh, the ergonomics class that I do regularly, and I jump on somebody else's bike, pull in the clutch, step on the brake, and it's squeak, grunch, grind, stiff, doesn't move well. Ugh, it feels horrible. Because they're not maintaining it, lubricate it, adjust things, set it up right. The difference is amazing. So it's all about the mileage is related to the general condition of the bike. High mileage, mint condition, no problem. It's fine. Cool. What's that saying, Grant, from a mechanic? Um, if, it, if it should move and it doesn't, oil it. And if it shouldn't move and it does, tighten it. Something yes. like that, isn't it? Isn't it? That's it. You're a mechanic. Yeah, basically that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People can learn. I mean, anybody can learn to do all of that kind of stuff. Look after the bikes and maintain it. Take a night school course. Anything. Um, read the manual. What does it say you should do? You know, there's a lot of things in there that, uh, like, I remember looking at a BMW service manual and checking through at six thousand, you do this. At twelve thousand, you do that. At eighteen thousand, you do that. I know ninety-nine percent of people. Don't even look at it. Don't do any of that stuff. They just ignore it all. I mean, I just took my car in, and one of the things they actually did on the car for uh, the winter service was they lubricated the door hinges. Wow, they still do How that? How many people lubricate their door hinges? Yeah. Well, it's a Mazda. Hey, good car. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, yeah, I mean, that, that, the basic things like that have just been, I think, so overlooked. In recent people years. don't do them. Well, I think a lot of times people think, expect things to wear out. But I was going to say what my thought process with it is, I think you have to look over the whole thing. Because I think when you get too many miles on a bike, you are going to be looking at more problems. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, even if, sure. if, if it's been maintained regularly, I think even just someone in there doing the maintenance, that can create more problems. Things are undone and things are done back up. So, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, Grant. I'm not saying you're, you're wrong. Um, but I, I think that as the miles go up, yeah, you, you got to pay more attention. I think you have to also realize Realize that like where your abilities are, where your pocketbook is, can you afford to yes. fix this thing as, as you go along or can you do it yourself? It's all a balancing act because like oh. Sam was just saying about this guy, he had 127,000 miles on it and it was in great shape, looked great, but he was only asking two and a half thousand pounds. So anytime you got a bike that's got high mileage, it's going to have a lower price. So you balance condition, mileage and price 
your abilities and your desire to do the work. And then you say, okay, this is a good deal or it's not a good deal. I want it. I don't want it. But but also, Grant, shouldn't you be looking, as the bike gets older, shouldn't you be looking a little deeper to things like wheel bearings um, and things that wear out as they age? Like harnesses, wire harnesses. The general maintenance stuff, you know, the wiring, you know, that Triumph I got, you know, I had it running beautifully and sweetly and I went for a ride um, with with another guy. We pulled into his driveway and it just stopped and I couldn't work out what it was. Now, the reason was this bike had been sitting for five years out in the weather and all the wiring behind the ignition switch had got brittle. Mm-hmm. And someone had been probing it, you know, those little probes that break the insulation. Oh, yeah. And, of course, the insulation and the brittle wires and the, the, the movement of the headstand while I've been riding it and it's been going sweetly, it's, it's broken the wires, not just one, seven wires. <laughs> so, you know, they're the, they're the sort of things, okay, I've got a bargain with that bike and it's a beautiful bike to ride, but it's taking time to sort out. And they're the things you've got to be wary of, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think so. Where, where things will wear against the frame, your wire loom, you know, where it swings back and forth across the head uh, of the frame and, and rubs on things, all those spots, um, that's what I'm talking about with higher mileage. That's the sort of stuff that comes up. Of course, cracks and things like that, or as I was saying, things that are undone and done up. And even maintenance, when people do it, I mean, how good is is the person doing the maintenance? That's always a, a big one. Um, you know, people's work ethics are not necessarily all the same. Yep, it's all a balance. You have to make your own judgment. Like somebody was saying at the beginning, are the corners of the, of the nuts burred off? If everything's in perfect condition, and the, the, all the nuts and bolts are in perfect condition, and it looks clean and sweet, I'm not going to be too fussed about the mileage. It's not that critical. Yeah. But you are going to have things that just plain wear out. But guess what? When you ride the bike, you're going to wear them out too. Mm-hmm. Now, things like wheel bearings, I don't worry about because wheel bearings are relatively cheap. Yeah. Um, more the internals of the engine, but modern engines can go a couple of hundred thousand without too much difficulty. Anyone ever been burned buying or selling? Oh, a car. I got burnt with a car. A Toyota Celica. I needed, I needed a car desperately because I'd you know, changed work locations and I couldn't keep riding the bike all the time. And uh, I bought this Toyota Celica, which um, looked all right. You know, the TA22s, a beautiful little shaped little thing. Um, it used more oil than fuel um, <laughs> and ended up I had to put a new engine in it. But once I did that, I had a really good little car and sold it for more than what, what I'd paid for it in the end because uh, I'd, made, I'd got it to being a nice little car. But in the initial stages, I really got burnt. Yeah, I bought an MGB. That was burnt oh, right off, you poor right thing. off the map. <laughs> 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 I spent considerably more on the car in repairs and renovations and updating and improving than I spent to buy the car in the first place. But Yeah, uh, that sounds about car. right. I love it. Yeah, it's I an MGB. I, I mean, I knew what I was getting into when I bought an MGB. I mean, that was just a fact of life. It was a 69, I think it was. And it had rot. We ended up replacing the back half of the car, like literally yeah. cutting the car through the driver's seat and replacing the entire back half of the car. It was so rotted up. So, yeah, are they the ones that had two batteries under the seat? No. Like the MGBs, no. MGBs, no. MGBs, no. I had an MGB too, Grant. I love this thing. It was 1971. Yep. And um, oh, fantastic car. Um, I felt so cool driving this thing with the roof down, sitting in the traffic, 
jams <laughs> going to work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the sills and everything on it, um, just, yeah, they just went. But it was part of the learning curve. I learned so much about working on a car. But, you know, sometimes I look back on the, on that car and I think, God, oh, that was such a nice car to drive. And then I think, yep. yeah. And when you wanted to overtake anything that had any poke at all about it, you had to take a run up at it with the thing because these blooming MGBs are so darn heavy. Um, yeah. So they weren't much for speed, that's for sure. Graham, you, you've never been burned? I'm sure I have. I was just trying to think of the appropriate story. When... Uh, when I lived in the States, I too bought a crappy old Toyota. It might have been a Celica. I don't even know what it was. I had, I had $200 and, and that's all I had. And I bought this car and I was, I was a pizza delivery driver at the time. And that's why I needed a car. And uh, I filled up with petrol all the way at the top. And I was driving around in this thing. I smoked at the time. I was driving around this thing. There was always a strong smell of gas. And eventually... <laughs> Eventually, I got around to opening the boot, opening the trunk and having a look inside. And there was an indentation in the boot where the spare wheel sat. And it was just there was the sitting in petrol and all the tire of the spare wheel had just come apart. And there were just bits of rubber floating around in the boot <laughs> with petrol. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, wow. so the, the, way to, the way to fix it, I didn't know anything about fix it, was just not to fill it up, just make sure it was never never more than half full. And, <laughs> and like, like Brian said, you, um, you use more oil than petrol. And so because I work with pizza and lots of other drivers, when anybody was draining their oil, it's like, can I have your old oil, please? And I'd pour it in the toy hope. <laughs> you don't great. have to change your oil. You just keep adding, right? Let's <laughs> create a total so, loss yeah. system. I, I was thinking about a Harley that you, you sold. Uh, didn't didn't you have wrong? an incident with a Harley? Wasn't it you that had sold a Harley and somebody came and bought it from you and... Ended up, oh, I, I gave it away. Yeah, I was gave it absolutely, away. Yeah, this was, again, before internet and that. And um, this is in the UK. I used to buy them in the States and then sell them over here. And this guy, this kind of long story, but I'll try and keep it short. I, I was at work. They caught, I was living with the parents at the time, still quite young. And this guy called up, wanted it, and he was going to send a courier down. This wasn't unheard of, but it wasn't very... Uh, very usual either and it was just he had the first mobile phone none, none of us had mobile phones back then but he was calling from a mobile and he kept calling is the guy yet there yet is the guy there yet no no and i remember said I'll, I'll call you when he turns up what's your name and there was this hesitation and he said fred that wasn't his name he was just the first name that came into his head and that should have rang alarm, bell, alarm bells there so this courier came down this dude in this old mercedes panel van gave me what they call in the UK a building society check. So it's written by the bank or the or the savings company. It's written by them. So it's a guaranteed check. And he gave me the check for four and a half thousand pounds. This was in the in the eighties. Well no, it's beginning the 90s. Gave me a check for for I gave him the bike, I gave him all the vehicle documents and off he went. And I went to call this guy Fred back to say the bike had been picked up and the phone went dead and it never got answered again. Oh, well, whatever. Put the check in the bank. And three days later, the bank called and said, that is a fraudulent check. It has been floating around by speedboats, jet skis, motor vehicles. It's a fraudulent check. And I just given my bike away with all its vehicle documents to an anonymous courier. Burned for four and a half thousand pounds. Totally. Ouch. 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 Yeah, that that had to hurt. I mean, you're a long way from that now, but that had to hurt at the time. 
that is like I don't want to belittle it, but it's like when you hear that tragic news, whatever it is. I just remember just going cold. You know, that can't be true. That cannot be true. That was everything I worked for. That was so much money. That was that was my money. I used to turn around, buy another bike, buy sell, buy sell, and that was it. Absolutely gone. And uh, at the time, bikes in the UK at that time were disappearing right, left and centre. It was just another theft. It was a clever one, but it was just another theft. The police weren't interested, gave it no time at all. So yeah, that was that. That's horrible. I mean, and that, that of course, that, that, that con went on to become the con where they would come and they would give you a check that was supposed to cover the, the shipping and, or, or some other thing they would come up with. And it would be more than what they were supposed to give you. And they're saying, look, at, I trust you. Just give me the balance of the check. You, you know, you deposit it, give me the balance that the part of overpaid you once the career is done and everything. And next thing you know, you're sending the money and you're paying them to take whatever it is that they've taken from you. It's just, it's horrible. I'm laughing, but it's funny too. Yeah. Well, there's this stuff on eBay constantly. Um, on the bikes I, I look at every day, Bonnevilles, Ducatis and, and uh, old Tridents. And you see this beautiful bike. Oh, I've seen that one before. And someone's pinched the picture, hacked someone's account, got ridiculously low buy it now price always the same spill selling for a friend please email me at this number uh, or please email me and send money to this thing and um when i've got the time i report it as a fraudulent listing but they just come up again and again and again so for the gullible who's just logged on and just seen it so like, oh, yeah i'm gonna have this um and there'll be like three or four listings in the same category and uh, surely ebay could could figure that out i can figure it out instantly but ebay don't seem to have the software to do it but yeah they're everywhere the cons are everywhere and some of them you're aware of and some of them you're not yeah well in hindsight it's easy to look back and say you know or once you hear about a con to say oh that's you know that's an obvious one but yeah some of them are pretty slick that go on nowadays on the internet i was um looking around at some instagram pics a few days ago I'm, i'm not real big on Instagram. I don't do a lot on it. I probably should do more, but I get on there and every now and then look at some shots and I'm always amazed at how many how how many great shots people put on Instagram because like for my thought process is and maybe it's sort of old school is that you don't want to give away your photos, especially your really good photos in case you want to use them for something important, but people post these spectacular photos. Um, and, and incredible places like one of the ones that comes up a lot is, you know, the, the picture of the hand, you know, the, the sculpture in the middle of the, the desert in Chile and the Atacama yeah. Desert. Um, I think it's a sculptor by is it Mario Isabule or something like that. Um, anyway, this sculptor that's sculpture that's there that everyone seems to take photos of. And, and no wonder it's a it's a beautiful spot. But when you start to look around, you started I started to search for like incredible spots to see in the world. It's pretty amazing. There was this one website that I came up with. They're, they're selling trips. It's called roughguides.com. And um, and on it, they had, uh, what, do they, what do they have it listed of? They have it listed as, um, hmm, let me see here, 20 seriously weird places around the world, which I thought was really cool. But when you start to look through it, well, actually, the first one I had was Spotted Lake, British Columbia, which I wasn't aware of in the Okanagan. Grant, have you heard of that? Of which? Spotted Lake in British Columbia. No, new one to me. 
But anyway, it's it's listed in here. It's um it's, it's got a picture of it, and it, it's um got these little islands. It's sort of like a it's a maze of islands with water around it, and apparently the water is is made up of mineral water, and it's different colors and whatnot. It's pretty spectacular. But but what it got me on this was all the different spots with these incredible places. And it's, it got me to thinking about, you, you know, when you're traveling around, are you guys covering some of this? Like Sam and, and, and Graham, have you guys seen the, the Giants Causeway in Northern Ireland, for instance? Yeah, I was up there when I went yeah. to Lake Shoe in Ireland. It's oh, that's fabulous. On, yeah. Still on my to-ride list. You haven't got there yet? No. What's, no. What, what's, when you, Sam, when, like when you were on your trip, did you pick places like this? I mean, I know this, the internet wasn't around uh, like it is now. Um, actually, it wasn't around at all for you, was it? No, not at all. Yeah. Not, not, thanks very much. <laughs> Shirley, Shirley, with that giggle, you made me feel up. Uh, look, it might have been just a little giggle, but the first trip we did, um, internet was just so hard to come by. It was around, but it wasn't like it is today. AOL, remember AOL, Shirley? Didn't right. work anyway. No, it oh, was it called AOL? Yeah, America Online. Online. Yeah, yeah. It stopped at Greece. <laughs> yeah, right. it, America didn't. Uh, America Online in those days didn't believe that Turkey uh, existed, and certainly Iran didn't. So unavailable. Well, well America, unavailable. America Online for us when we first got that—that's that just a dial-up service. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we're talking about 110 years ago when we did our first trip, Jim. Yeah, I know. But it was a dial-up service, so. I wasn't born yeah. then, but but um, oh, ha, ha. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, did did you did you pick up like on those on those first trips? Did you look for special spots? Give, give me. Let's talk about some of those special spots that you guys have been to. Oh God! Special spots. I reckon probably one of the most special spot. Yeah, most special. I'm a journalist. That's why I create these great expressions. <laughs> Isfahan, <laughs> Iran. Mm-hmm. The that big main square with the just fabulous mosques on either end and people strolling, taking in the beautiful weather and the people were so friendly and the place was just so beautiful. And and Persepolis or Persepolis, whichever way you want to pronounce it, near Shiraz, the ancient city in Iran. Never seen anything like either of those two places. Just so special. Oh, God, so many. Oh, I don't know. And and also um, uh, in Uzbekistan, in Samarkand, some of the squares there, just beautiful architecture. And because they're not full of tourists, it makes them even more interesting. I can't help but throw in the shopping thing here. I mean, I just think that you're attracted to things where you can shop. <laughs> Jim, no. I'm just starting to detect a note today that it's pick on Cheryl. Well, so think- is this because of last month? Because I might have said a few things. So today I'm going to be punished for it. Yes, I do enjoy shopping, and our house is filled with bits and pieces that we've bought overseas um, that bring back amazing memories. In the corner of the room we're sitting in now is a beautiful um, brass jug which we bought in Pakistan. What do you do? You, do you ship that back while you're on your trip? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't she, she, she can buy anything anywhere and get it home, believe me. <laughs> Does it always Carpets. get home, though? Yes. Yeah. We have never lost you anything. Never lost. Wow. Some things have taken a bit of time. We've sent carpets home. Um, 
you know, and in some places it's more uh, difficult to send stuff home. Like Brian had to be fingerprinted when we sent home a parcel from Colombia. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a bit weird. And to get the bike out of Colombia, it took two days for the narcotics police to come and check it to make sure we weren't taking anything else out with it. But um, yeah, we've always got everything home. The only thing that I've not had to get home, and it's, it really is impressive, isn't it? When you're buying some things in way out of the way places, and the sort of places where you know they're not ra- you're not allowed to wrap it in brown paper and string, you have to have your parcel sewn into fabric, and oh, yes. you know yes, things like yes. that. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's just such a wonderful experience sitting and watching your parcel being sewn up. And, and seeing they put the wax on it. Remember that? Yes. They put the wax in it. Yep. <laughs> no, absolutely brilliant. And I mean, every single thing that I've ever sent home um, has made it home except for one. And that included two Malawi chairs. Now, you guys know what I mean by Malawi chairs, don't you? They're made out of the, um, the sides of tree trunks and they're beautifully carved with suns and moons and animals and people's faces and all of this sort of thing. And anybody listening to this that doesn't know what a Malawi chair is, do a Google on it because if you ever go to that part of Africa, then you have to get one. Anyway, Birgit and I bought a couple of these and shipping them back from Malawi was ridiculously expensive. So we just sat the things on the back of our bikes and rode to Zimbabwe. <laughs> 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 shipped them home from there and and they made it um but the only thing that's never met that didn't make it home was um as i was going down through africa the first time i was doing watercolor paintings so everywhere i stopped for any period, particular period of time i just sit with my watercolors and um my, my my pad and i'd paint paintings and i made the big mistake of sending them all back in one parcel and that was the uh. parcel that didn't make it of course. It's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We've sent a was, lot of stuff home ourselves, and we've never had a problem getting every, everything has always made it home, except for one carving, a carved, oh, I don't know, it's, it's in, maybe an inch thick or less than that, probably, and about three feet long, elaborately carved, see through type of thing. It made it home, but it's now in a plastic bag. Not very big. <laughs> In pieces. Oh, many, many, many pieces. One day, it's my just, jigsaw puzzle of my old age. <laughs> just thinking about natural natural wonders or man-made wonders. Nimrit you know? um, Dagi, um, which is in the, the high country. Um, Come on, you start well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, where Noah's Ark is supposed to supposed to be but you know just the the journey to get up there and see these carvings done by this mad king um and the stories around that were just fantastic and it had a shop and i bought a bag which i still use Oh, all right, okay. What about Antarctica? You couldn't buy anything in Antarctica. I did. I bought tea towels. There was a shop which was an English outpost in Antarctica, and it sold tea towels. It sold Antarctic tartan rugs, and I was in the queue at the counter, and standing behind me was the ship's doctor with an Antarctic tartan rug under his arm to purchase. So I'm not the only one that shops. And, um, yes, I am a bit of a bag lady, Sam. Hang hang on a second. You're telling me you're in Antarctica and you're in a queue to buy something at a store? Correct. That's incredible. They must have saw you guys coming. 
No, at an English outpost, they had a typical English souvenir shop attached to this scientific station. And we came off the ship and we all went out in the little zodiacs and we went and had a look around the scientific area. And like every good museum, you exit it through the gift shop. Of so course. you couldn't get out of this place without past, going through the gift shop. Past the Jeff, penguins. Yep, turn Jeff. left at the penguins. And they even had a post office where you could get your postcards stamped um, from Antarctica. And the postcards went with a cruise ship to the Falklands yes, yes. and then with um, a British mail to from the Falklands to England and then from England to wherever else in the world you wanted it to go. Fantastic. Can I was thinking kind of more about that. having a swim in Antarctica and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> For your souvenir. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me tell you, I dived in in the budgie smugglers and nothing else, and there was plenty of room in the budgie smugglers when I came out of the water. <laughs> that might be cold. There's actually a place in Antarctica on the cruise that we took to Antarctica where swimming is actually a delight because there's a hot spring coming out wow. right at the shore. We didn't go no, there. No, no, we no. We, we had, we had both ships, ships doctors waiting for us to get out to make sure no one had hypothermia. But I don't know how good these bloody doctors would be because they were both gynecologists. No, one was a gynecologist and the other one was an anaesthetist. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so, a lot so you two were sailing on the love boat then and it was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but, Jim, you know, you shouldn't be so surprised that um, there are going to be um, souvenir shops and places like that on a British outpost and, and places like Antarctica because um, the British government, you know, it's, it's broke. So these research stations, they've got to be funded somehow, you know. <laughs> you know, I wasn't so surprised that there was a shop. I was surprised that anyone would stand and line at a place like that i mean i'm gonna look at a line and think no i'm not doing this but when else are you going to get the opportunity to buy something like that from that location they seconded as scientists and we weren't the only people us on the ship's doctor and many many others the the girls that have been there actually got onto our ship so they could have a shower yeah (laughs) they didn't have much water wow nice I just wanted to pass on one little tip since we're talking about these souvenirs and sending them home. We've just done this major move and downsize, and we were going through our souvenirs, and we've literally got a couple of boxes of souvenirs that we haven't unboxed in about 20 years. And we're looking at some of this stuff and going, where should we buy that? I have no idea. Do I love it anyway? Mm. You sure it's yours? Yeah. Uh, we're sure it's what, what? ours. We bought it. But uh, we're making a rule now that anytime we buy a souvenir, we mark on the bottom of it or somewhere where we bought it and when. Yeah. And also why. We, when we were away yes. for 16 months, we came home and there was one room of our house filled to the brim with parcels. And all the way around the world, I would bought, you know, something for the grandkids or something for my brother and when we started opening these parcels, I had no idea what I'd bought for these people. And it was only that they still had um, wrapping with postmarks on them that I had even the vaguest idea where we'd bought half the stuff. Right. Good oh, thinking. Okay. Yeah, because we, we did our trip and we were gone for a couple of years before we after Africa and South America. And then after that, um, we packed up, and we moved somewhere else and we didn't get the stuff out. And it was years before we actually opened all this stuff. And we couldn't remember, and now it's been 20 years since then. Not a clue. <laughs> but, you know, that's a first world problem because you're looking at the most beautiful trinket that 
Maybe yep. you don't remember where you bought it, but it's still beautiful and, and you probably oh, improve someone's life by buying it, giving them oh, some yes. money for something that they have worked so hard to create. Well, especially when you're buying it off the person who actually made it. Yeah. You see him yeah. working on some more at the side of the road and his, his workshop is the side of the road and he's making yeah. something and he's there's one he's just finished. Yeah, I'll have that one. You know, you're, it's definitely a, a, a little bit of charity, a little bit of supporting the local economy and all yeah. of that. It's, but, it's very uh, cool, yeah. isn't it, Grant? I really, really mm-hmm. like that. You know, these Malawi chairs that I was talking about earlier, yeah. um, the, they, they were for sale by the side of the road. And we got talking to one of the guys and he said, so what would you like if you could choose anything to go on your chair? What would you like? And so I told him and he said, come back tomorrow morning. <laughs> and that night he'd gone home and he'd spent the whole night carving this blooming chair for me and just fantastic and there was another guy not in, in Malawi again um, and he was making um, all sorts of things out of um, the, the, the hard core that you get that goes down the middle of a palm leaf mm-hmm. and just beautiful things and without me realizing what he was doing, I'd just parked the bike up and I'd gone off wandering and looking at the various market stalls and this sort of thing. Um, and when I came back, there he was sitting by the side of my motorcycle, making me my motorcycle. Wow. <laughs> and I still have that. And it's one of my favorite um, things that I've ever bought. But some of the other things that have been favorite to buy. And can I, I just, just ask quickly, quickly, yeah. Sam, can I ask, do you still have the chairs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, and good. we used a lot. We make the visitors sit on them. No. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Sam, I, I Googled the Malawi chair and all I'm getting is wicker chairs. Oh, really? Yes. yes. Wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm. look anything like what you're describing. Okay, well, I'll see if I can find a Malawi chair link and I'll send it to you for the show notes because things. Yeah. Um, listening to Shirley talking about buying souvenirs, I am such a. a cheapskate when it comes to buying things on the road and I don't do it very often and there were some countries where I didn't buy any souvenirs at all except for one beer and my souvenir would be to soak the beer label off the bottle and I came across my beer label collection the other day all of these different countries and all of the memories came flooding back from each of these individual beer labels. I just, and I, I, yeah, fantastic. Great souvenirs. So you're not taking them off every bottle. You're just picking a bottle at a certain spot and taking it off. There were some countries where, you know, I was on such a tight budget and uh, the, the price of a beer was the equivalent to um, three meals. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, uh, on a tight budget, I was hardly drinking beer at all. And there were some countries where I just drank one bottle just that one bottle so that I could have the beer label as the souvenir. I mean, there were, of course, other countries where I was a little bit more generous to myself. Um, but, um, yeah, no, beer labels, soak them off the bottles. They make wonderful souvenirs. In fact, I was thinking the other day, how cool would it be, instead of collecting um, flag stickers to go on your panniers, to collect beer bottle labels and put those on your panniers from each country <laughs> instead? <laughs> I am so surprised this is not Graham talking. <laughs> You're awake, Graham? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His mind's ticking over thinking, mm, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. I the do peel off the, uh, the beer labels, but they all go in the pages of the diary. So the actual day it got drank was uh, is in the, and the location is in the diary. So oh, that's I've certainly nice. got enough. I could certainly cover a pannier. I could probably cover a wall, but they stay in the diary. Doesn't the diary get really thick at that point when you've got all those beer bottle (laughs) labels in there? 
Well, it's only one of each beer, so I don't care. Oh, you don't save all 24. You're just saving the one. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always take a photo of Brian with the, every beer he drinks, oh, and cool. I think one day I'll just do little thumbnails of them and make a, a wall hanging. Just <laughs> put them all together, what? all these little bottles. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes your souvenir shopping doesn't work out quite as well as you planned. We were in Germany and we'd been riding with our friends, Bount and Heidi, and they took us to this little village where um, there were lots of witch stories and um, they had these little uh, witch dolls with sort of crazy hair and, and a broomstick with um, fibre, like a proper broom. And um, I bought one of these and I posted it at home and unfortunately, Brian didn't know this, but he's about to find out. Um, I, when I got home, there was a note from Australian Quarantine saying that they didn't believe this um, this doll was actually uh, clean enough to come into Australia. And would I like them to either A, destroy it, or B, fumigate it? And I thought, oh, I don't want it destroyed. I'll go for the fumigation. And it cost about four times what the doll was worth to have it fumigated by Australian quarantine. But she sits in my office and I look at her every day and I just think about what a wonderful time we had with very special friends. <laughs> you <laughs> you, probably... Only you people could see the look on Brian's face. <laughs> you probably took all another the... motorcycle for you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what we don't know is how much they actually spent on this witch to begin with. Oh, it sounds, from the way Shirley's laughing, it was a lot of money. I know. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah, look, it wasn't a very expensive I show, think we better go there. Sure. It was a ridiculous thing to do to have it fumigated, but that's what it was. Oh, my, my God. It was my will. Oh, dear. How about strange places that um, that you got? The, the witch one sounds like a strange place to me, um, but strange places that you may have visited. Anything like that come to mind? Ooh, well, I'm thinking like like even the spectacular spots, like I was saying on on that I found on this website and many others as I looked around. I mean, there's some really, I mean, as we all know, there's there's some really stunning places to see. Um, one of them that I saw was uh, what they call, and I've never heard of this before, Plain of Jars in Laos. Anyone heard of that before? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, no, absolutely. That's quite famous. Yeah, have you been to that? No, I haven't. Hmm. I haven't been to Laos. That's one of the few that, in that area that I haven't been to. Um, there's also the place in Alaska, which is the sea, uh, the forest of um, car and motorcycle number plates. Oh, oh right. signpost forest, What's yeah. That's a really weird place. Why? How that started? But And you look at it, people have travelled the world with a number plate in their luggage so that they could attach it to part of this um, forest. It's a very weird yeah, place. Yeah, you walk through it. That's right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I never thought but about that. that. They're actually taking them with them. I, I didn't really think that yeah, through. a lot of people do. That started in 1942. They finished oh. the road. They, somebody put up a license plate on a post just to say they'd been there. And it just went from there. Wow. Well, there's that um, um, field of Cadillacs as well, isn't there? In yeah. The States? <laughs> and just wonderfully weird. But, I mean, nature itself produces some wonderfully weird things too, doesn't it? I mean, on your, on your own doorstep, um, Pater Lake... Isn't that absolutely stunning? You know where I'm talking about, don't you? Up near Who's doorstep? Lake, oh, yeah, Jim's doorstep. Jim's. <laughs> Are you saying near, near my doorstep? Yeah, well, not not on Vancouver Island, but um, it's BC, isn't it? Um, Lake Lake Louise, you've got near there, and Banff. Um, 
all and those lakes through there. That wonderful, that incredible yeah. turquoise-coloured yeah. lake that oh, just yeah. is drop-dead yeah. gorgeous. And yeah. when Birgit and I hiked up to that spot and we looked down on it, we just thought every photograph that we take of this, people will think um, it's been doctored. It, mm. They just won't think it's real. And the world is full of places like that. And I just think that is why people need to get out and go and explore it because you cannot do these places justice with photographs. You have to be there and mm -hmm. you have to smell them as well as see the 360 degree views and so on. But it's also things that make make your, your skin tingle a bit too, isn't it? Um, I, w I was thinking about um, San Augustine in um, Colombia. Have any of you guys been there? No, no. This is um, a 400 square kilometers um, um, of burial sites from a civilization that they estimate, because almost nothing is known about this civilization. They estimate it's from about 3,300 BC. And they know it's burial site because of the construction of some of the stone carvings and things, some of which are animals and some of birds, some are sort of human being height, some are over seven meters tall, um, abstract carvings of um, ferocious faced people and all of this sort of stuff. But it's really weird to be walking through an environment where so little is known about anything to do with it and the people um, that live there. I had that prickly feeling on the back of my neck that, you know, th the spirits were there and watching. And I know that sounds awfully corny, but sometimes you get that feeling when you're in places, don't you? There's just that slightly weird, unreal, unreal feeling about them. And I would love to go back. Um, I must actually have a look and see whether they've managed to find out any more through the archaeology that they were um, they were doing there. But um, yeah, anybody who's going to Colombia, just go to this place. These these statues are quite incredible. Um, mm. Lost civilizations. Sam, yeah. Do me a favor. Mm. On horizonsunlimited.com/destinations, mm -hmm. you can go there and you can add that place to our list of destinations. We've got almost oh. a thousand destinations in there now, and we I and when this we started talking about doing this piece, I thought this is perfect. The idea of destinations when we started it was there's all these cool places that motorcycle travelers would love to see, would love to go to. And if we have a resource that lists all the places that motorcycle travelers are interested in specifically, then on the site now, you can go in there and you can browse the country. Say, I'm going to go to Laos and drill down and see all the places that previous travelers have already entered as an interesting place, like the Plain of Jars. And... Add it to their list, and at the end, when you're finished, you go back to your control panel, press a button, and it'll give you a GPX file of all those places that are in the destinations that you've chosen. Mm, very cool. Yeah, so you could add yours, and everybody else has any cool places. Spend a little time in there, upload a picture for the, for the location and what it is, and this is going to become a tremendous resource. Like I said, there's about 1,000 places in there now, but I'm sure there's at least another 10,000 that we could get in there. There's just so much information. But it's it's a great way to find all the cool places and what people think of them. Get the, the URL. Uh, we add in Wikipedia entry if there is one and that sort of thing. And it's just a fantastic way to find – to plan a trip. I'm going to go somewhere. Where's all the interesting things to see? Because how many times have you been out for a trip and – Without doing a lot of research, you have no idea what's interesting in the area. I know we drove by places that we found out later 
Oh, we could have gone there. I didn't even know about it. Never heard of it. Well, here's your chance. Yeah, providing yep. nobody's put, posting their, their secret camp spots. Yes, no secret camp <laughs> spots. No, no secret camp spots <laughs> or secret little places. Because then every man and his dog will be there. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's aimed for motorcycle travelers. So if you've got someplace that's only accessible by motorcycle, perfect. But, it, I mean, we've got um, stuff like Niagara Falls is in there. you got to go to Niagara Falls if you're in the area Where's and that, that kind of stuff. I have no idea. I heard it somewhere in I've, I've heard in it's Africa, a big place. Yeah. <laughs> Someplace popular. How many of you guys have been to um, Palenque in yes. um, southern Mexico? Isn't that yeah. an amazing place? Yes. Hundreds is. of miles or of of cities that still hasn't been exposed, but there are the bits that have been now. And I mean, for we motorcycle travellers, then we're lucky, aren't we? Because we can get there with the dawn and just watch the dawn come up over what is exposed. And the sensation is just amazing, isn't it? Of course, it's completely different when all the the coach trips and everything come oh, in. Yeah, but, um, time to leave. It's, it's an amazing spot, isn't there? And that's another place that just gives you this spooky feeling of civilizations long gone. Yeah, and Copan as well. Mm-hmm. Tulum, is, of course, is now completely overrun by the tourists. Yeah. I like the, the fact that, you know, it, these sites have been just grown over by nature and um, we've sort of been gently discovering them and slowly yeah. exposing them. And uh, Well, that's like Chical. Yes. In Guatemala. Guatemala, yeah. Same thing. I have, this image, I have this image in my head of Grant in a little room surrounded by boxes stacked to the ceiling. This is going to sound <laughs> quite weird. Great. Yes, so, okay. <laughs> I've actually been to crime scenes where people have been crushed under boxes that have fallen. Oh, <laughs> Can you well. please do something about that? <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's move into, I guess we're going to move into plugs at this point, since we went down Brian Lane there. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Graham, what do you have for plugs today? What do I have for plugs? Well, this is the Christmas uh, episode. Uh, so I don't really have a plug as much because, um, um, but I was just thinking if uh, if you're really bored at Christmas and you're fed up with the TV and the family, uh, there's some really good photos on my website. We were talking about Instagram photos uh, earlier. Um, they're not that good. So after you've looked at the Instagram photos, <laughs> you could... Uh, my, my website is not just about selling books and that, but there's um, there's some really good photos. So if you've read the books and perhaps you've been starved of images and perhaps the, uh, the there's uh, some really good galleries there. So you could have a look at that if you wanted. And um, the, uh, the audio book is all done now, completely done, available, ready. Uh, right, I forgot. So, I, I meant to ask you about that. So, I mean, just take a second and talk about the audiobook there. You went to the UK, you recorded the audiobook in what, five days? Yeah, I think it was five or six days, something like that. A little bit quicker than the last one because I'm a little bit better at reading and uh, just got confirmation yesterday that it's all been uploaded. So, it will take a while before it goes out on Audible and iTunes, especially what with Christmas and everything. But um, yeah, it's all done, actually. And I was driving to the supermarket. That was my venture outside this week. And as I was driving there, um, I thought, well, that's done. I've done the script because you have to make a script that you read. I've done the script. I've done the reading. We've done the editing, the formatting, the indexing. The files have been sent. Wow, 
that's done. And I suddenly had this feeling of accomplishment because it just it's ongoing. You never really get that feeling that it's completed. But it's like, oh, right, my fifth product is now finished. So, yeah, that's, uh, it's kind of cool that the, the audio book is finished. The thing is, when you've done something like that, you have been so immersed in it. You've listened, you've read it, you've reread it, you've listened to it. And you're just sick to bloody death of it. So the last thing I want to do is uh, is sort of think about it anymore. But yeah, it's done. Yeah, that's that's got to feel pretty good. But I know what you mean. You're you're so into working with it and dealing with it and correcting and well, changing. Then then I had to transfer the files onto a bunch of USB sticks because I'm not doing discs this year. So and every time I did it, I had to check it. And it starts with this song. This guy wrote me this song, the Eureka song. It's a, it's a it's only a short. It's only like a minute long, and he sampled my voice. And it's got a real catchy hook. And of course, I had to listen to this. 50 60 times to reach because the book opens and ends with it and this song is just stuck in my head <laughs> hang on you 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 sang a song for this book as well no someone a, a guy a friend of mine called bob staunch um did out of the blue sent me he's a musician and he sampled my voice from some interview and also sang a little bit about eureka the book which he'd read and made it in this little minute song you can hear it on my website as well the Eureka song, and it's it's so it's just such an earworm. It's it, and, and which gets a bit annoying, like any like any earworm does. And uh, but yeah, so it's it's kind of cool. So I've got music on this book as well. Can you sing it a little bit right now? Just sing a line for us. No, Jim, I can't. <laughs> no, go on, go on, go on, go on, Graham. You can't give us all of the intros. You can probably do it right away. Just give us the line. I probably could, but I'm not going to. Come on. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so that's the Eureka audiobook that's uh, that's now available. That's that's pretty cool. Wow. So what do you do next? Um, well, I don't know. If I, I, now um, I wait. <laughs> or as they say in Rango, now I ride. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got different natures to do, correct? I could do that. Let's see what happens with this. Um as, as I sort of frequently say, I listen to audiobooks all the time. I have never not got an audiobook on, and uh, and I love listening to people's autobiographies and different stories. And I listen to these different styles of, of reading. And, oh, yeah, I want to sound like that. And I think probably my favourite, oh, there's loads of good books, but one of my favourite is Life by, Clint, uh, by, um, by Keith Richards, which is the most fantastic. And it's read amongst other people by Johnny Depp. He's got a few reads in there, but Johnny Depp. And I think... Oh yeah, I wanna I wanna sound like Johnny Depp. And I'd, I'd walk to the recording studio thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do it like that, and I get behind the microphone, and no, it's just me again, <laughs> just my voice. I'm looking yeah, at no. your 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 photo galleries on your website right now. This is pretty cool. I didn't realize you had this here because you, you've got shots in from um, you know, you've got screws in your neck here at one point. But what I, what sort of jumped out at me was the bike burn up you have on here. Bike burn up. Oh, the the donut. So that was no, no. This is this is another bike. What is this? this is a super. Oh, that sport. was a Ducati. That was a nine hundred SS. Yeah. So that wasn't your first burnout, really. The the one you just did on your the you destroyed your your. No, that was my first donut. It wasn't my first burnout. Oh, I see. Right. Right. Well, that that's a good shot there. So you got a bunch of them in here. This is cool. I didn't realize that you had a because you redid really this like website. I like the world travel travel book thing where everybody's got pictures of themselves reading the book in various places. I, I've, I really enjoyed putting that together. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. That's pretty neat. So what, they, people sent you these photos? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I put most of them on Facebook because people get them and say, oh, reading your book, you know, on holiday. Or One of them was in the first class section. I had a guy, actually, we talked about Antarctica earlier. I had a guy who worked in Antarctica and he took my book down there. And I said, oh, I'll get a photograph of it with something classically Antarctic. I mean, not just snow, but, you know, something that was clearly you'd only seen the Antarctic. But he was... Um, he never did that, but that would have been a great one. That would have been the, the seventh continent. We have a photo of our book in the um, Oval Office in the White House. Oh, nice. um, wow. A friend of ours is a cameraman working in um, Washington, and uh, he was reading it and propped it up on, a, <laughs> on something right. in front of the camera and took a shot and sent it to us while he was waiting for the president to come in to do something oh, important. So, yeah, it's pretty hey, cool. send us that so we can post it in the show notes. That'd be good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'll be was good. Was it a circle to circle? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of ironic. Circle to circle in the roundhouse. Oh, no, it's the White House. <laughs> in the Oval Office. In the Oval Office, yeah. Well, very cool. So the the plug being drop by and check out because I was just going to say that um, maybe some people don't know that you've revamped your website completely. This is the whole new look. I think you said you stole it from Apple. Yeah, yeah, because it's exactly you forgot to take out the Apple logo up here in the one corner. But I mean, yeah, it's it's Apple's website. It's very clean. <laughs> very nice, Grant. What do you have for a plug? Well, we've got something that a lot of people have been writing us about and asking us about and wondering when it's going to come out and what's going on and when's it going to be ready. The calendar for 2019 is now available, finally. Hooray! Yes. Hooray nice. indeed. I saw that. So how do they get Go it? Go to horizonsunlimited.com slash calendar19. We'll take you to the Cafe Press store where you can buy the calendar. Cafe Press prints the calendar on demand in several countries, so in theory, the shipping should be a lot less than it has in the past. The calendar is an 8.5 eight by 11 calendar instead of the big 11 by 17 we had before, which means that you can now put it up into more places. We had a lot of people say, oh, it's too big, it's too big, I don't know where I can put it. We had to get a couple of super magnets in order to put it on our fridge. It would just keep sliding down with any ordinary fridge magnets. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they do it? They print it in different countries? Yeah. That's a, that's yeah, a not a lot of countries. I think it's four or five different countries. Huh. Print on demand. Print yes. on demand. I like that. So forward slash calendars. I, I think I've come to the calendar wrong Calendar 19. Calendar 19. Calendar 19. So I got to take out, I, I did a Google search here and ended up on, on calendars. So calendar 19. Yep. Yes. Some um, of the photographs in there, Grant, just incredible. Fantastic. It always blows me away, the quality of the photos that get submitted in the calendar contest, which yeah. opens up January 1st, by the way, and runs to the end of June. Oh, yeah, this is, this is Those great. Those who want to get their photo in. This is only 20 bucks. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's reasonable. Yeah. Wow, that's really okay, good. Okay, so there's your chance. Time to get your calendar. And the other one we are, I already talked about was destinations. Check out the destinations page. See what's going on in there. There's lots going. And add your favorite place and favorite picture or whatever. Just bung it in there. All you need is an, an HU account. And for Christmas, there's still a chance for some people can still get the uh, DVD series. It's available at a special price just for Christmas for only $64. That's like half of what we sold it for a, year, a few years ago. So check that out. Very good. And what we should do with this, um, because we are right before Christmas, is 
everyone should send the links of what you have for Christmas stuff. I know it's last minute, and probably maybe people won't even get it by Christmas, I guess. But still, um, they can make it's the purchase. a little late, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, they can make the purchase now anyway. Um, but um, everybody, send the links, and we'll put them in the show notes for this episode. That way, when you're Christmas shopping, getting something for yourself, which you should definitely get, drop by uh, the show notes for this raw episode and uh, have a look at what's there. Okay, Mr. Manicom, what do you have? Mm, well, I'm going to follow on from Graham with the audio books because um, this, as you say, being um, so close to Christmas coming out, these are something that um, can be downloaded. So there's no postage time or anything else. So Graham's got his... Um, first two audiobooks out and um, all four of mine are out in audiobook format now and they can be downloaded from Audible or from iTunes. Um, I mean, if anybody would like um, the old-fashioned CD, then of course we can send those out from us direct, but they won't be there in time for Christmas. Um, but I've also got some um, news about what's going to be happening with shows and so on um, next year. Um, it's been in advance, but um, well, why not? Um, this is February happening. Um, I'm now going to be at the London Motorcycle Show um, between the 15th and 17th of February, where I'm going to be book signing. But I'm also going to be up on stage with Nathan Millwood, who does an amazing job of making the Adventure Zone happen at the show. But I won't be talking about um, my books and adventures. Um, that's not the point of the stage. The point is um, to cover a, um, a plethora of topics with the different guests that he's going to have up on stage. And um, he's got a stack of questions lined up for me, apparently, about kissing your bike out for a long trip. Um, so what are the priorities, what's really needed, and, and that sort of thing. So that's going to be a fun thing happening at um, the London Motorcycle Show in February. And then also in February, the following weekend, I'm going to be at the Overland Magazine Winter Warmer. Um, and that's completely sold out. Um, it's going to be quite a small event. I think they've only got 150 p um, places for that. But it could be a tad on the mad side because Northamptonshire and February can be full on snow and ice. Um, but um, I gather that there's going to be um, camping presentation rides and bucket loads of stew. And I suspect the stew is going to go down very well indeed. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the season's um, going to be lined up to be very busy. And when we're talking in January, I should be um, talking a little bit about um, an adventure, an unexpected adventure that I will have just been on. Um, but um, I'm not saying anything at all about that now. Hang on a second. Sorry, my, my alarm bells are going off. You're saying an unexpected adventure, adventure that mm -hmm. you should have went on. How can it be unexpected if you're talking about it now? Well, because it'll be very unexpected for people to be listening and thinking, good grief. I couldn't imagine Sam doing that. Oh, I see. Not not unexpected for you because you're expecting what's happening. Yes, I am now. Can you give us any sort and of hint? No, not at all. Not at all. It's, okay, so um, how about if I just say, if I just throw out a few things, you tell me whether it's not it. Don't say if it's it. Just say it's not it. Uh, go on then. <laughs> you're going to go for this, are you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm going to go for this. Okay, so... I want to see what your imagination comes up with. Will you be wearing your motorcycle clothing? No. Will you be walking? Part of the time. Part of the time. And will you be in your own country? No. Will you be... And that's all... No, that's it. You've had three. <laughs> okay. Well, at least I got something out of them. That was pretty good. Don't you think you guys think? That was pretty good. Yeah, well done. Tight yeah, I was impressed. I feel like I really uh, got a skill now. 
<laughs> so I was, was going to say it's a bit like a Christmas party game, isn't it, Jim? Because you know, what, what's it charades and so on. But but um, uh, I was going to say though, when, when it comes to Christmas, if you're, you're talking about um, Sam, your audiobooks or your books, and and Graham, same thing. Uh, Grant the, the the calendar, or whether it's uh, your videos that you have out, which are also available on Vimeo, or the Rixes, your books. The nice thing about it for for listeners is when they're buying something from you guys. They're buying something for themselves, but they're also giving something to you guys for Christmas. So I, I, I sort of like to think of it that way. And I, I think it's that time of year that um, everybody wins with this one. Yeah. Um, thanks, thanks for that Very thought, nice. Jim. Mm. Yes, thanks, Jim. Shirley, Brian, what do you have today for plugs? Or, or are you going separate? Well, no, no, no. I, well, I would, uh, I would just plug the, um, the books, but you won't get them for Christmas. But, you know... If you're in Australia, it's summer holidays, and if you're in Europe, it's too cold to do anything other than sit by the fire and read. So we don't have audio books. We have old-fashioned paper ones, and you can get them as e-books if you do want to download um, for Christmas. Hmm, there you go. So well, that's true. You know, if you're buying the uh, audio books, like for download, um, uh, Graham's saying his, his may not be up right now, but if you're buying that sort of thing, then you can download them immediately. You have them. Yeah. What are you right. say, Brian? Oh. I've got a couple of things that um, I'd like to finish off with. Firstly, Big Red, my beautiful big bike that made um, Graham's little triumph look like a bantam, is <laughs> finally back in Australia. Yeah. So I picked it up on Friday and went for a ride and it was fully loaded with all this stuff that we'd bought, but I still had to take it on a little bit of a dirt road and get it home. That was wonderful. So that's one. Number two, the thing we learnt today was that Honest Jim used to run a second-hand lawnmower business. <laughs> now, do we... <laughs> where's, the, where's the mute button? I can't... Where's the mute button? <laughs> you really had a chicken past, Jim. So, right? so let me ask you this, Brian. Did you, did you put your bike in quarantine? Did you pay to have that quarantined? Uh, the whole container, everything coming from Europe had to be quarantined and sprayed because of this stink beetle that's infected um, Italy and Germany, Jim. And Russia. And Russia, that's right. Mm, wow. And um, a word of warning for people shipping things into Australia, when I went to the um, freight terminal to pick up my bike, there was a heap of old American cars and old, uh, old motorcycles which had been uh, quarantined by Aquas because of asbestos. Now, brake linings are asbestos, um, some head gaskets, clutches and things like that are asbestos. For some reason, uh, the Board of Fast, as I call them here, have decided that um, asbestos is all of a sudden a big problem that it, inside engines and they've got to stop these things coming into the country. And people are having to pay exorbitant fees to um, uh, get rid of the asbestos from the, the things that they're bringing into the country. Maybe Crazy. That's wrong with my wit. Cra- oh, don't. We'll have that conversation later. <laughs> but so, so if somebody brings a, um, an antique vehicle in, let's just say of any kind, and it has asbestos or it's suspected, they have to overhaul the thing, pull the, the head gaskets out if they think it's in there? Yep. That's wow. what they're doing, which is – and I thought they'd stop that process – but I went to this uh, freight terminal and there would have been probably 30 or 40 vehicles um, uh, impounded there. 
Um, what they're going to do, I don't know, but it just seems ridiculous to me. So just a word of warning to anyone shipping anything into this country, double check um, with your freight forwarder. Um, a couple of things coming up. Um, the um, uh, the Salt Lake Racing is on at Lake Gardner in South Australia. Now, uh, anyone who's um, interested in uh, the outback, 40-degree heat, plenty of flies, and wants to see um, fast motorcycles um, go as fast as they can across the salt, um, that's on, on the 4th of March to the 8th of March in 2019. But there's a lot of preparation goes into making these uh, machines and there's uh, a Triumph Bonneville which is going to have a run on there and we're trying to make it into a dry sump Triumph at this stage to try and get squeeze some more horsepower out of it to crack over 155 mile an hour if we can. So there you go, that's that's on. And, of course, the classic bike races at, at the Australia Day Long Weekend in Phillip Island is a great event where if you've got an old bike, you can go down to Phillip Island. Camping down there is fantastic. Um, the weather is usually very, very good in January down there. Uh, I say that touching wood. And um, you can um, register and ride your motorcycle on the track. Uh, they have a parade, what, what they call a parade lap around the uh, the famous Phillip Island track. So anyone um, further north from Victoria or, or to the west or even from the south in Tasmania want to come across, um, it's a great event and don't miss it if you can. Thanks. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps things up for December for Raw. And um, have a Merry Christmas, everyone. And a happy new year. Thanks, Jim. Absolutely. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thanks to my co-host, Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK, has four books and audiobooks to follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. Drop by his website, www.sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have books published about their motorcycle travels. You can buy them anywhere you get eBooks or from their website, www.aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria and is the author of both books and audiobooks that chronicle some of his journeys as well. Graham's got t-shirts and his famous box set find out more www.gramfield.co.uk and of course grant johnson is from horizons unlimited which is literally the hub for the adventure motorcycling community horizons unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum connecting travelers from around the world they also put on the hub meets around the world you can see a list of all the meets they do at www.horizonsunlimited.com and we would love your support for raw and for adventure rider radio the more listener support we get the less we need to depend on advertising so drop by our website and consider becoming part of our patreon team www.adventureriderradio.com just click on the support button special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin my name's jim martin thank you for listening see you next month